Hello and welcome to this episode of the SCTS Education Podcast with me, Caroline Toulon. In this special episode, we're going to be talking all about Marian Ionescu, the inventor of the pericardial heart valve, who sadly passed away last month. He was a remarkable man and led a remarkable life, and here to give us a little glimpse into it is his good friend and colleague, John McKenna. John has got extensive experience in the medical device industry, bringing many products to market, including as product manager of Marion Ionescu's valve, the Ionescu Shiley valve. It has been such a pleasure to talk to him, and there's certainly been an awful lot of things that were new to me, and I think that you'll all find really interesting and, and possibly quite enlightening as well. So without further ado, let's get on with the podcast. Hello, welcome again to another episode of the SCTS Education Podcast. Um, and on this special episode, we are going to discuss the life and times and many achievements of uh, Marian Ionescu, who was a, a sadly passed away uh, last month, age 94, uh, and was one of the greats of cardiac surgery, a huge innovator, and we'll go over all of the many contributions. But uh, to come and have a chat with me about him is John McKenna. Um, so, John, I'll just do a little bit of an introduction for anybody who hasn't uh, met you before. But um, John is a leading marketing expert in cardiovascular devices and current board member of RUA Life Sciences. And I understand you're the director of clinical marketing there at present. Correct. Um, uh, which uh, is follows a, an exhaustive career in the medical device industry, at going through concept, product design, bringing things to market, manufacturing. It looks to me as though you name it, you've done it. <laughs> That's what, what I could basically say. And and and, uh, and I understand you work for Pfizer, Vascutech, Nataromu, uh, Quire Life. Um, and you worked uh, initially with the Shiley uh, Corporation um, helping uh, Marion uh, Ionescu and, of course, Christina Ionescu as well to uh, bring the um, Ionescu Shiley valves into fruition. Um, and, and I suspect going through quite a crucial time with them as well, um, some ups and downs as, as, as that certainly um, went through its life cycle. So um, you've had the front row seat. Uh, to all of these events, um, and uh, and very much a participator in all of the evolution of medical devices as well. So it'd be really interesting to hear um, how you have seen uh, the pericardial valve shape uh, under the care of my Marion Ionescu over the years. Um, and recently, you've just told me that you're also a member of a rock band. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> uh, multi-talented. <laughs> no, I was the least talented of the group, I assure you. <laughs> Um, so, uh, well, I wanted to really see start at the beginning of how you met Marion Ionescu and how all that came to. Um, it was about 1980. Um, dragging out of a hotel now, the Hilton and Leeds. Uh, this very exotic man showed up with leather trousers, silk shirt, cravat, um, a, a, a suede jacket, uh, Yeti boots. If you remember Yeti boots, fur boots. And um, he arrived in a yellow Ferrari. I'm I'm a little guy from the East End of Glasgow. I'd never seen anything like this. And and with uh, what I call a reverse panda suntan, because he had been in the mountains, so he had a white goggle look, and the rest was tanned where he'd done his snow goggles. And he'd just given up smoking, so he was furiously chewing uh, gum. And 
I, I just never seen anything like this. And in a wonderful Romanian accent, he held us all enthralled that the entire uh, UK sales team were, were, were there. I did the north and uh, everything north of uh, basically um, uh, Hull. And, and he was just a revelation. And, and then an opportunity came up to become his kind of product manager later, about three or four years later. And uh, most of them lasted about three months before Marion said, this person is not suitable. And I managed to last years. Um, so, and I got to know Marion and Christina very well. Um, visited their homes in Chamonix and in Monte Carlo. Um, and when I moved to the European division, I became his kind of, I was in charge of the mechanical valves, which in those days was Bjork, mm. speaking Olaf Bjork. And Marie and I rescued the pericardial valve. But we think of the pericardial valve as being ubiquitous nowadays. Yes. But it wasn't in those days. It was a off-the-wall concept. People mm. trusted porcine valve and they trusted mechanical valves and they waxed and waned according to the fashion. And uh, he, he, he put up with, uh, I think, a lot of unkind comments about the strange, why are you using parts of a cow? You know, and... He'd already tried fascialata. He's already tried duramata and published on it. And of course, third time people were skeptical. And people were either with him or against him. And in 1985, I remember a meeting in Geneva, uh, a very famous French surgeon who is closely associated, he's now with pericardial valves, and at a meeting said, the only thing pericardium is good for bovine pericardium is good for is making baby shoes. So in those days, the conversations were robust, sometimes personal and fairly. And um, if I can say, sometimes there was a kind of old boy network in Marion, INSQ was not part of that. Well, it's certainly, I mean, you've used the phrase one-off before to describe Marion INSQ, and for sure, the description you've given so far would, would definitely support that. And one of the things that strikes me with you saying about the the porcine valves being very much the the sort of the the thinking in terms of tissue valves and and if we mm -hmm. remember like mechanical valves had really been the mainstay uh, for oh. for for a period of time um it's a leap of imagination to go from that to pericardial valves because because you have essentially a valve which looks just like the valve you're removing uh, of, there are some obvious anatomical differences um but actually a valve for a valve is is not such an imagination leap whereas when you're then looking for something that can function like a valve but isn't a valve but what are you how are you going to make it and you can see that he was able to sort of think outside the box to work out what the different materials were and was absolutely tenacious <laughs> in trying to identify what that would be well if you remember that the three leaflet flexible leaflet valve is it should be called it was 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 pioneered in cloth yes if you think back to it um it was done so so the, the, the basic concept was there just the material and 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 i argue this often that the material science is what makes heart valve when, before we had pyrolytic carbon we had delrin occluders either flat discs or we had um, tilting discs and then um, Jack Bowcross and the team from General Atomic um, and partly because of the Manhattan Project 
these days of Oppenheimer, um, came up with the decarbonized, the, the, the pyrolytic carbon, which is as close to diamond, in which we don't think about nowadays. Mm. But, um, and, and of course, the, the first concept of mechanical valves after the ball and cage, the Star Edwards, was it was the gut daggett. And the gut daggett was, was two bioleaflets, which were, but they wore away. So until the St. Jude came out in 1977, um, you didn't have bioleaflets because it was, it was absolute knowledge that bioleaflets didn't work because nothing could take that little hinge movement and not wear away. And then pyrolytic carbon came out and um, Manny Villafana and the team in St. Jude made that. Um, so, so it was a period of thinking outside the box. Mm -hmm. Terrible cliche. Um, and Marion in 1971 started exploring all this. And uniquely, I, I say almost uniquely, amongst the then named valves, perception in the companies was you had to have a famous name attached to a valve. And, and Marion Ionescu was not famous at that stage. But, you know, to, to have a name like like Star, Albert Star, or to have, you know, Cooley, Denton Cooley. Viking Bjork, he didn't invent the valve. The valve was an engineering valve, but his name was on it. The reverse is true of Marion Ionescu. He totally invented the valve with a titanium frame and using a fixed bovine pericardium. And then Christina would sew it at night on the kitchen table. He would sterilize it in formaldehyde and plant it the next day. I don't know who it was from Shiley showed up in Leeds. Apart, I was told from Marion, an envelope was presented on the desk of sub substantial amount of money in a cheque. And they said, that is just to talk to you and get exclusivity to your product. So Marion, uh, he had a unique deal financially with the Valve company. But then he had to train the people in Irvine in California to make it. Uh, so it was reverse engineered into a manufacturing production, which is not easy. Making something one-offs and then doing it in production thing. And, and he, he, he worked, I think Mike Holden, one of his uh, trainees and in in a senior surgeon up in Newcastle later, um, put on the website that, uh, you know, he didn't sleep. I never, I, I don't know when he slept. I don't, I don't know when he ate uh, because he just worked. That's a common theme. Lots of energy is something that's been commented on. And the fact that he survived without food to, to people's best knowledge. <laughs> I, if we did eat, he, it, it, was, it was milk. Uh, he seemed mm. to drink milk. And mm. um, he, 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 he seemed to be always on, on, on edge. Mm. Always on edge. And, and in the operating uh, room, um, he was far from calm mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, you know collegiate in his, his his methodology. He he was the king of that theatre, and, mm. and he, everybody did. I, I I was thrown out numerous times for not knowing enough knowledge about anatomy and had to go and learn stuff. Again, came back. <laughs> I was reading a little bit. I've been reading the 50 Years of the Pericardial Heart Valve, which is a SCTS publication. And um, that was actually supported by Marion Ionescu, who obviously was mm -hmm. a huge benefactor for the Society of Cardiothoracic Surgeons um, in, in multitudes of ways, fellowships in um, sponsoring the university and producing publications. And he was a, a 
he was passionate. It seems to be very passionate about educating people. Possibly that might have come across in a slightly aggressive way at times. <laughs> I wonder, but it was certainly something that comes through. He initially did uh, one of the things that sort of started him on the journey of the um, of understanding and, and investigating heart valves was when he was back in uh, the Cleveland Clinic um, on a sort of um, fellowship, and he was learning about or creating heart valves for the artificial hearts that were being created in the labs there um and i believe he did his own sort of dacron 3 cusp valve at that yes. time uh, which was used in some patients but then became superseded by the more sophisticated mechanical valves that had been created at that time but he saw the way that they were working in the cleveland clinic and that they had a lab there that obviously he was working in as well as the clinical side and when he returned back to romania in i think it was 1960 he took his might have been earlier than that actually he took his um experience there and developed his own lab alongside the clinical work he was doing and and it sounds like he would do the clinical work in the morning and then be in the lab working on things related to whatever had been you know creating that inspiration throughout the the afternoon evening probably through to the next morning yeah. to my suspicion um and and that he definitely seemed to pair that curiosity and that desire to learn and educate uh, with his clinical work. And, and and when he was in Leeds, he established Leeds Associates, mm. which was a little pocket company. And he paid people, as I remember, the chief of perfusionist and others, to, to monitor his, his valve testers, which mm. were pretty crude by today's standards, where you can program them, you have cameras in them, and high-speed cameras and things. Uh, we certainly have those in Rua. But the the... In those days, you had to go in and, and use a stroboscope, and they were running about 10 hertz, I think, at the time, and he, he would use a stroboscope on top of it to slow it down, and he, he'd show you the leaflets, and show you, and then he said, you know, these titanium stents are not good enough, they're not flexing, and he moved to Delrin stents. He was always exploring, and each machine had a different iteration of valve in it. Um, but in those days, you could literally suck it and see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then Within a couple of months, you could put it in patients. It's all grossly forbidden nowadays. Mm. We have to go through many, many uh, steps before we go anywhere near our patient. Mm. Um, we have to do a lot of testing, both mechanically and in animals, and uh, also some work on cadavers before you go anywhere near them. Looking at this process for actually developing the valve and the valve leaflets that he'd he'd gone through so many different iterations in the lab before mm-hmm. he even got to uh, got to doing some inpatients. Yeah, I, and 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 this was this attention to detail came down to the presentations. I mean, he would go to in the days when it wasn't as as comfortable as as it is now, and you had to do multiple flights. He he would go to you know, South America to do a talk over the mm. weekend and come back and operate all week. Kylie was developing at the time but because we didn't differentiate between perfusion products and, and cadis, thoracic surgery products and vascular. It, the sales teams had to learn everything. And, and in those days, we were still just after using rig bags. And he, he actually had his own heart-lung machines made in America. They weren't standard machines like Stockard or, you know, whatever machines they have now. They didn't have them. So he had them designed by a company called Pemco. Mm. And then he had his own circuit along with it. He, he took an interest in everything. And, and the oxygenators were crude because 
you know, in my year we started, we had the rig bags at the beginning, and then we went on to went on to soft shell oxygenators, then we went on to hard shell, then we went on to hard hard shell bubbles with deformers, then we went on to membranes, then we went on to hollow fiber. Mm. And that progress has been all the way through. And of course, cardioplegia didn't really kick in until about 79, 80, and then it was crystalloids and Thomas's, and then there was a big argument of that, and then blood cardioplegia came later. Marion went through all of those stages, along with all of your earlier colleagues, um, in this journey that every six months, every every year, there was a, a new thing happened. It was so exciting. And Marion was in the vanguard. And not only was he going through all those things in terms of his professional life, I suppose as well, I mean, before he came to Leeds, he'd come to Leeds because of huge upheaval in, in his to want to better personal life with the change in politics over in Romania and that it became unsustainable to continue in in the unit he was working from from what I can understand. He his his journey is 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 an amazing one. I I won't go into too much detail, but he he managed to save. He was like an amanuensis to uh, the the then Minister of Health in Romania, as I understand, who was a political appointee. And I don't even know if the man was a doctor, um, but he travelled the world with him, and Marion and Christina managed to keep a little bit of dollars, and um, eventually, after many years, <clears throat> they managed to get uh, a holiday. You weren't allowed to leave communist Romania under Ceausescu um, easily, but he managed to get a holiday to Yugoslavia. He got to the border. From what I understand, they got the border guards kind of squiffy one night because <laughs> his friends' daughters invited them to a party. And him and Christina opened the border to Italy and pushed the car for three kilometres because they, they didn't start the engine. So they had a Fiat 500 with, with petrol cans on it and they, they pushed into Italy where they were not given soccer and eventually ended up in Paris where Jeffrey Wooler found it and brought him, said to the French guys that, I need somebody who can do heart surgery. And he said, well, this guy can. And he didn't speak English, so he had to uh, learn English and then do the exams because he could. The, his, his qualifications were not transferable. Gosh. So then he had to go into the Society of Apothecary, do the apothecary exam, and then do the FRCS. That's, that's, that's a hill to climb. That is that is. That is a mountain. That's a few mountains <laughs> to climb, really. Yeah, we we think we think we have challenges today. He had, yeah. he had, he had those challenges, and and he learned English by uh, his English teacher uh, was a passionate Edgar Allan Poe. Mm. Uh, uh, so it, at the drop of a hat, he would quote the entire poem of the Raven or or um, any of Edgar Allan Poe's. He knew by heart. Gosh. And and what I found interesting is that in his suitcase, I think I he they packed cans of tinned food, uh, a few clothes, and six Dacron grafts. <laughs> so it. he could, <laughs> he, could make, he could he could make a living. Yeah. So he's he, like, I'm not leaving he, these behind. <laughs> no, he he was he was he as I say, he really was a one off. You yeah. never meet people like him. Yeah, no. Well, I was wondering if it's possible to talk a little bit about how that process happened going from making those valves in their kitchen 
and their and the laboratory in Leeds because they had managed to develop um, over a period of years a laboratory in Leeds through which they were also mm-hmm. making um, these valves and then sterilizing them the night before and then implanting them into the patient the following day. Um, how how do you go from doing that to going and manufacturing these in a larger scale? Because I think just to put things in context, he had been going when he landed in Leeds, he had been going to visit the abattoirs to harvest material from the relevant uh, animals to be able to then process his vows. And he was doing this as far as I can see, pretty much all by himself along. Well, sorry, Christina. And I, sh- I think it's really important to mention um, Dr. Christina Ionescu, who is a consultant cardiologist Absolutely. in her own right um, in Leeds and must have gone through the same sort of process of having to learn the language, having to get employed, having to be employable, uh, uh, as well as doing all this, you know, suturing those valves together. You know, the, the two of them were quite uh, both <laughs> to con those challenges to one extent or the other. She, she was an extraordinary lady and, and she was his cardiologist. <clears throat> And sometimes that led to people be disbelieving of the results mm. because a husband and wife team, they, they tended to say, oh, well, she would say it was good, wouldn't she? Mm. And um, so Annan Tandon, who was uh, the cardiologist there, um, gave, gave a, 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 more, um, a more independent eye to mm. the data. Mm. But this is in the, the embryonic days of looking, you know, we just had student pre-tests and you know, that sort of stuff when we were doing the data. But he published, he wrote during the night, he wrote huge screeds of papers, then would travel the world to present, to get purchase. But you're quite right to upscale these things. It was difficult. And I think they eventually, they eventually would hit on pericardium for calves, mm. calf pericardium as it was originally called, not bovine pericardium, it's calf pericardium from Texas. And then they had to, Marine had to, teach these, and Christina had to teach these ladies, mainly ladies, like almost certainly ladies from uh, Southeast Asia, because they had a history of skills in, in needlework, mm. uh, very fine needlework. And, and still today, if you go to a lot of the manufacturing plants, you'll find that out, yep. except for the one you visited in Yorkshire, where it's all, yeah. all ladies with purloin from the, from the Burton's uh, mm. suit factory in Wakefield. Yes, I remember them mentioning that, actually. <laughs> So overlapping skill set, <laughs> and 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 such skillful surgery. Mm-hmm. Whenever I took them into the operating room and you saw a surgery, they, they used to come back appalled and go, "These people can't sew." <laughs> when I, I visited the Vasquez um, factory in Leeds uh, about ten years ago, and I was so impressed, so impressed at the care and the like, I just. Uh, just a skill uh, of all these people sitting in the clean rooms as well it's not you know these are st- very sterile conditions it's you know you have to get yourself dressed up in all the gear to go and do these very fine instrument moves it, it, it's a it's a job and a half that. <laughs> a class seven clean room is not fine and it's noisy because of the the, the, the air change every three mm. minutes and, uh, and it's not it's not then when you go to the class five clean room it's even worse for sterility mm. double gowned and you have to count the number of steps you make through the air uh, which makes it even worse. Wow, you see these, yeah, and you know, it takes it takes some of the some of the sort of um, extra precautions we were taking in COVID, sort of, uh, you know, to uh, to well, another to level, degree. to the already, another level. It was already yes. there, yeah. exactly, exactly. But, but, but Marion connected with people in California, and I think he must have made goodness knows how many trips mm. um, to California because he, he wouldn't come to him; he had to go to them. Mm. And then um, train them, and, and there's guys like Jay Lanker, Bob Rosenbluth, people over in in, in uh, Shiloh, California, um, in Irvine, created all this. I mean, mm. it, 
from scratch, not an easy task because we'd be making porcelain valves, which were basically roots trimmed down mm-hmm. and, and hung on a frame. Instead of this, you had to sew everything together, uh, as they do now with all the pericardial valves from all the big companies nowadays. Mm. And some of the things that... Um... Uh, that that you've mentioned and actually for anybody who wants to read a little bit more if you have the 50 years of pericardial heart valve please do read John's chapter um, which is fantastic it talks a lot about some of the manufacturing challenges and things like learning about which part is going to be the best part what are the various factors of the collagen bundles which direction they're going what makes it work what makes it not work Um, and and transportation and temperature you know things that we take for granted in the way that things are prepared it, these all had to be learned it was you know something worked something didn't work you had to find what what the element was that made that difference and then, and then bse comes along and oh, and, and totally throws a spanner on the works and, and more or less we only have two countries not still bse free mm. um isolated that's why you go through so much trouble when you go to new zealand and, and australia where they take bananas off you mm. um and everything because they have a unique agricultural landscape so that so we can guarantee there's nothing down there so most of the pericardium not all but most of the pericardium comes from those two countries mm. and if they had to fall to bse we, we'd be in real trouble um so hence hence the move and when i i i was privileged enough to see my nnsq in may for the last time in monaco when i was my wife and i were there for the grand prix and and He's, he he berated me as usual at ninety four, and, and not not feeling very well. He he said, said well, "What have you been doing for fifty years? Have you been sitting doing nothing? Why haven't you moved on? You know, you're still using." He was very proud of the pericardium. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong, very very proud, but he was astonished we hadn't done more. Mm-hmm. He says, "You're still using pericardium. We put all the things in your toy box today." He was he was quite vociferous. <laughs> <laughs> well, I should mention at this point that that the RUA life sciences are testing polymer valves. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, we we're, well we 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 used to be a company called the Ortec, and it, that that has various iterations that has gone out into other companies, and and there is polymer valves out there. Mm. But uh, we we we're. we're uh, it, by the way, it's Rua. Um, Rua, oh, Rua is Rua is Gaelic for red. Oh. Because the chap who started the company had red hair, so it's, oh. it's, it's, it's so it's actually a company called Red. Oh. Um, so anyway, Rua is um, Rua is developing a polymer composite valve, hmm. and it's very much going back to what mine. It, it, this is circular. Mm-hmm. It's very much going back to the the valves that we know were durable, i.e., you know, sort of fabric valves, um, but the 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 Polyester and everything's not very good at being blood facing. Mm. So you don't want to generate clots, you don't want thromboembolism, you want to keep anticoagulation at a minimum if you can. Um, there, there's a whole bunch of things there. And um, so we we have created a composite, which mm. is currently um you know, we're doing work on, uh, shall I say. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't mm-hmm. give too much away no. because uh um, we're a public company. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. And 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 did did Marion Ionescu approve of this? Consider that I, you were doing enough. I took one with me. I took one with me, and he and, and he was and he kept pointing to things and said, "Is that right?" Is that uh, his brain was was electric. 
when when you were with Marion, you never knew where things were going to go. Mm-hmm. One minute you could be talking about, he'd say, um, as Rousseau would have said, and then you he went off in philosophical tangent, and then he'd go tangentially to what kind of porcelain was made in China in the 16th century. Then he'd double back and go, well, of course, it, it, in the Ferrari, the, the compression ratio in cylinders, it, you, you, were, you were everywhere. And I, I think anybody who worked with Marine INSQ will say to you, you never really knew where you were mm. because he had an eclectic and tangential brain. Mm. And I think that's how he drew all of these seemingly, as you said, I think things. Why did you end up with bovine pericardium? Where did that come from? You know, who would have thought of that? You know, so it, that's a unique brain. And there, there are very few of them. Even in the way he writes, you can see a little of that sort of, you know, he'll start in one place and then you'll go around and you'll have a good look around. You've gone on a little adventure and then you end up back where you started with a kind of background of what his thought processes were. It's it's a very... I, it's a, <laughs> I always think in comedic sense it's the same as Billy Connolly. He used to start with, a, 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 you know, he came from the East End of Glasgow, like me. Mm. Uh, it comes from, from one one place and he always ends up in the right place at mm. the end. But you've had you've had a journey yes. on the way, and and you've learned something. And in the days before the internet, before you could Google everything, and we had no mobile phones, mm. you you you. After I left him, anything I had to go and read something. I had to go and find a book on it. Mm. Um, and he had this his apartment in uh, Monte Carlo. It it most of it is a library. Wow, mm. and it's just full of books and and. And he loved books on the mountains. Mountains were his passion, but he loved everything. Art. He he. You get in the Ferrari in Monaco, and he'd go. I said, "Where are we going?" He says, "Oh, there's a chapel, you know, eighty kilometers from here, which Magritte did the painting round the, round, the, round the, the altar or something." And and then he would give you the whole history of how he painted it. Uh, and and uh, he would drive to Saint Paul de Vence to the Colonne d'Or and. The paintings on the wall are originals because poor artists would give, my, you know, my great Picasso would give a painting for dinner. <laughs> and uh, he, he was, they knew him. Mm. He showed up and people would go, oh, Monsieur Ryanesky. He was a real character. Mm. He was known everywhere. Everybody knew him. Mm. Um, I, I wondered if it's possible to explore how it was when, because it must have been incredibly difficult when the Bjorkshire valve had the failures and then ultimately that became discontinued and because Pfizer had taken over the company and there was it was just as the third iteration of the pericardial heart valve by Marion Ionescu was coming out and it just basically stopped production um which must have been heartbreaking actually I would have thought at that time. He was furious Mm. I mean absolutely furious I I by this stage, I was in the European office, um, and I was uh, I, I, I was marketing manager and product director or something like that. It was a, various things happened, but when we got the Panorama program, when we got the World in Action program on Bjork valve, I remember the six iterations of the Bjork valve. Mm. There's a Delrin valve, there's a conical valve, there's a spherical valve, there's a sixty degree CC convexal concave. 
70 degrees convexal concave and then monostruct. So roughly about half a million valves, roughly. So one small portion of one particular design had failure mode, mm. which became known as bimodal closure, uh, which is a kind of rocking of the disc and on the, on the, and uh, at uh, when it when it closes at the end of systole. And and they, they tended to be mitrals, although not exclusively. Um, so Professor Bjork was was skeptical at the beginning when we had some reports, and then it, it became obvious there was a problem. And and then Pfizer at the time, as I remember, Pfizer, along with many drug um, pharmaceutical companies, were taking on medical device companies. But when this all hit, we also had uh, Hymedica, which was a, a hip and knee company, an orthopedic company. We also had urology companies. They divested everything. Mm. And and pharmaceutical companies, to my knowledge, have never gone back into that arena of devices. Mm. So we, we run totally separate. If you look at the big device companies like Medtronic or Abbott or Boston Scientific, Edwards, they, they, they all run separately. They're not part of a pharmaceutical thing because the, the pharmaceutical companies have what we call in the industry DPS, uh, which is deep pocket syndrome. Um, so, so if you if you if you're going, that's why a lot of innovation comes from relatively small companies in our industry, mm -hmm. and then they're maybe snapped up by the bigger companies, mm -hmm. because if it doesn't work, they dissolve. The company mm -hmm. goes away. But uh, if you have something like like a large pharmaceutical company, uh, they can just sue you forever, um, and and the numbers are big. So it's. It, it it changed the industry forever. And Marion was furious because it was nothing to do with him. Yeah, yeah. But but I totally understand why why people like like the pharmaceutical industry withdrew and said no. And and they said, um, you know, we have this valve; it's doing very well. We have the INSQ, the INSQ valve, and they just said no. We're we're, we're just we're just not going to continue with anything. And and Shiley became a kind of rump, which basically became a legal entity for 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 the lawsuits because we had mm -hmm. a class action lawsuit against us. Mm -hmm. um, and and not only the problem with many medical devices is not only for failure when it goes wrong, but fear of failure. Mm -hmm. So you get sued for phobia. So right. I I'm I'm waiting for this to fail. Mm -hmm. So the, the 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 insurance for things like medical devices went through the ceiling. So if you ever wonder why medical devices cost so much, um, it's because they're all insured. And and remember that the if you start the lower you go down in the age group, the longer the product has to last, and the more you have to insure it. So if you go down into pediatrics, you you've got real problems. Yeah, it's a um, it's it's so difficult as well this is typical of that kind of unknown unknowns as well isn't it because as you rightly pointed out there were many of the Bjork valves that worked well and and most of them exactly and and ultimately there is still in fact I think I seen somewhere I can't remember it was but uh people saying that you know there are patients who still have them or maybe we're getting to yes. the end of that now but but who who have who've have 
done incredibly well and that's all they've needed for their lifetime and that that's that's been the case for an awful lot of people um but that doesn't negate the fact that there have been other factors which haven't been as successful and ultimately it's it's it's, it's a heavy price to pay isn't it but there has been that's many vowels failed <laughs> the Bjork Shiley seems to be the one that's caught the imagination but mm. because we had 80 percent of the market mm, yes the and that's an important guys. thing Mm-hmm. We were the big guys, mm-hmm. and and the, the bigger you are, the harder you fall. Yes, and and we didn't have. Uh, if if you look back on it now, with a with a with a and, and from a distance, mm-hmm. you you see that you know. I was discussing this with a colleague in New York last night, and he was saying, "Why didn't we just take everything off the market?" And you go because the surgeons phoned you up and said, "Don't you dare take these out of <laughs> my hospital! I have nothing else." Mm-hmm. The, the, the other companies couldn't fill the void quick enough. If we'd have just went, everything's quarantined tomorrow, stop. Um, and apart from that, you had to work out. We didn't have computing. We didn't have all the computing data to find out where all the – and we didn't even know where some of the product was. Mm. I mean, the FDA went, made us I, – I, I was in attics and, and everything, and, and – you know, if you go through an agent and you sell a thousand valves to somewhere in the Middle East, do you know what hospitals are in? Well, no. And then the FDA would send you a note saying you have to go send someone over to find it. Yep. But do you know that country is at war right now? Do you want us to put someone in there? What do you want us to do? And then there was no scanning of product. So you had to go through the theater books. And sometimes they wrote down 23 valve and you go, but what was the code? Well, we don't write the code. So you couldn't find out who had the bowel. It's amazing how some of the things that we um, we get used to having these things so quickly. Absolutely. You know, uh, having these the scanning mechanisms, having the ability to press a button and be like, oh, yeah, this is what it is. Oh, well, you know, this oh, is, Mrs. It now. Great. This is yeah. Mrs. Boggs from yeah. Wincanton. We know her. Um, and, and, and that's why. We, we started putting little stickers in all the boxes. Mm. So you stuck it on the patient notes, you stuck it on the, the perfusion, the anesthesia notes. You um, Everybody got a little sticker and you could scan it and say, that valve was made X, Y, Z. So the, the, this, the industry has, I think the industry's done a wonderful job stepping up to the plate. Uh, and the regulations have been tightened so much. In fact, I think they've been, in my personal opinion, over tightened. To the point that uh, the MDR in the EU, if it if it hadn't been pushed back some years, my our industry thinks about twenty five percent of all products in hospitals would have to have been rescinded. Wow! Because we just couldn't approve them in time. Yeah, it's a and, it's, like, and legacy products are not worth approving. It's such a um, it. There's so much process, so much process to to getting. Getting these things Tell me. into <laughs> into patients, and and obviously there's huge justification in terms of making sure things are as safe as possible. But that does also come with a balance of making sure that you can actually physically navigate uh, those processes to get things to patients. And I know there's there's plenty of people who who are fighting that battle in <laughs> in different ways. Well, um, and, and 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 this goes back to the original premise of Marion. Marion was a, was in an era when he could simply access a company and do things. Mm. Now, if you were if, if you had a great idea, and uh, Caroline and you went to a company and said they'll go, okay, 
um, probably seven years mm. of work in this. Approval could take longer. And um, what what is the reward for us in doing so? Mm. Um, because they are, I, I think we alluded to earlier when we were talking, every single thing in a hospital, everything from from you know from a syringe to an MRI scanner is made by a private company. So and, and I think I remember the statistic something like seventy eight percent of of any NHS cost is salaries. And a very small amount is all of this kit, but mm. without that kit, from an antibiotic to a to a scanner, nothing's going to happen. And you find that out very quickly when you're in places where people have to buy their own, be it the patient or the patient's family, or yep. where that sort of stuff is just no longer available, or you can no longer access it, et cetera, et cetera. So these I, are you, yeah. you, you, you as a, as a surgeon will know that that um, it's uh, I, I I remember once of a very famous surgeon whose name I won't mention says said I was on a bus going to a congress and he said. We don't need the industry. The industry just leeches on our back. And I said, okay, Professor X, um, tomorrow try and operate with no anesthesia, no operating table, no lights, no no, no implants, no oxygenator, no heart-lung machine. Uh, try, see how, what you can do tomorrow. Yeah, it takes us back a few centuries, if, <laughs> if not more than that. Yeah. What can you say, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I don't fancy that picture that much, you know. <laughs> yeah. He 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 thought we were just profiting, and, and, and yes, we're profit. We're companies who make a profit if we can, uh, but um, we we also are concerned for the patients. We we we're, we're not. We are patients as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. No. Absolutely. <laughs> and and Marion Marion was great with patients. Mm -hmm. I remember a lady waking up in Leeds Intensive Care, and he woke up and he took the lady's hand and he said he said. Once again, Madonna, you have lightened up the room. Once oh. more, light, once once more, you know, your radiance has, has has joined us. What a joy it is to see you back with us! Thank you very much. You have come through everything. You are fine. And the women lit up. <laughs> and, and 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 I I think sometimes just a little bit encouragement to a patient does so much. And and he was a master of that, an absolute master. And then he then he turned and berate to the the registrar badly <laughs> for, for 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 being incompetent or something. <laughs> uh, he, I think Mike Holden wrote it very well. He wrote uh, he is mercurial. You know these people come along very rarely, and we had a lot of them in this eclectic cardiac surgery sphere in those mm. days. Mm. We had the Donald Rosses. We had the, the you know we had the Marion Ionescu's. We had the Alan Capontiers. We had we had the Jerry Buckbergs. We had these great people, um, and 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 in Kirkland, we you know just it was a joy. Um, mm. So Lord Brock, of course, and uh, I've got a few quotes here that I yes. that I thought I'd share. That um, some first of all, some things that Marion Ionescu said as well. Okay. Um, and he was one for quoting people as well as having his very <laughs> own quotes. And I found one that actually he's written a blog. This I found this when I was looking at the tribute board um, for from one of the tributes there, and that he had a blog called Hearts and Heights and Dreams. And um, I, and it had I didn't go through the whole thing because there's there's a lot on there. <laughs> yeah. A lot on there. Um, however, he quoted. Um, um, Lily High, I think it is in one. It says, "Good judgment comes from experience, 
and experience comes from bad judgment. <laughs> I thought that was quite an interesting. That's uh, pretty profound, isn't it? Yes. Um, and and I I've always said you know that, to quote uh, Newton, we stand in the shoulders of giants. Um, I've always said in our industry, we stand in the shoulders of the first patients who mm. get our products. Yes. Because they are the brave ones. Mm. I mean, yeah. we, we go home at the end of the night and, and the patients who have the first iteration of anything, mm-hmm. okay, it may save their life, but the, the perhaps was another choice. At the very beginning, there wasn't. Mm-hmm. You know, there was no valves. And um, if you get a chance, Mr. Wooler, I think, who, who brought Marion, did the first ruler annuloplasty in 1958, 57-58, and I think the BBC interviewed him afterwards. So it's a black and white, that kind of Harry Enfield thing where they're rather stilted, mm-hmm. um, and, and him and the patient are talking. So one of the first patient surgeon interviews about cardiothoracic surgery, mm-hmm. I've never found it. I saw it once in Mr. Wooler's home. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, when he he was ninety five at the time, and he, he took me for lunch, because um, it's a tremendous man. Mm-hmm. But uh, he 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 saw in Marion and Christina something special, mm-hmm. and and more or less bankrolled it because they mm-hmm. gave he gave them a flat, he gave them everything when they came over. Mm-hmm. Uh, he took a chance on this chap from Romania. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think he he's owed some 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 uh, kudos as well. One of the other phrases that I think is pretty good for Marian Ionescu is, um, and got him through, I think, some of the re- early research days, was, I will not lose, I either win or I learn. Isn't, yeah, that, that's him. That, that's <laughs> him. And, and he couldn't understand anybody else giving up. And he couldn't understand anybody else not having an inquiring mind. Mm. I think so much of his temper, which he had, in, he, he, was, he could be very temperamental. Um, was because he couldn't understand why people couldn't keep up with him, mm. and and I certainly couldn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I was a dullard compared to him. I, I've got a tenth of his brain, um, and and even the smart people he worked with struggled. Mm. Um, yeah, but I I think that's what drove him. Mm. I I think inquiry and and wanting to do better. Well, a few descriptions that I found uh, as well have been that he was. Well, passionate, and I think also compassionate. I think he's somebody who is passionate and compassionate. Um, he inventive, tenacity, had a lot of perseverance, a brilliant technical surgeon, a visionary, full of ideas and energetic, <laughs> a mountaineer with excellent literature knowledge and huge generosity of spirit. Uh, one, this is something that I found that this was actually from an article written by a surgeon in one of the Indian journals. Um, who had been his uh, one of his fellows many years ago, and his mother had become unwell in India. And Marion Ionescu had actually, he, he was very, you know, he couldn't afford to go over there and fly over there and see her. But actually, he'd come in the following day and been given a plane ticket by Marion Ionescu and been told, you go and we'll look after your family over here. You go and sort things out as you need to back in India. And, uh, that, and that was Marion. I, I remember going to the house one day and there was a, Christina was in tears. Marion was shouting down the phone. <clears throat> and I, I said, Christina, what, what's wrong? And, and the, the chap in the news had a, a honey bear and he didn't have a wild animal license to, and the, the authorities were taking it off him. Mm. And the, 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 the 
this license was like three thousand pounds. And Marion shouting down the phone to the ITN news people, saying, 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 I'm going to pay for his. I, I won't. My name is Marine Nesbu. I am, I'm a cardiac surgeon. I want to pay this man's wild animal license. Do not take the bear off of it. It's companion. And the both of them were in tears. Oh, Such compassion. Mm. Such compassion. And um, he, I, as far as I understand, he built two PDSA hospitals in England wow. at millions each. He, he paid for them all. Um, he was involved in the architecture. He was involved in how it worked. Um, he, Many, many things he did, no one will know about. Mm. He, yeah. he gave millions away, millions. Those of us taking a valve off a shelf, any pericardial valve from any company, yeah. how many of us realised that it was this gentleman who was busy cutting out bits of tissue to work out what was the right thinness, what was the right flexibility, what was the right difference between the rough and the smooth surfaces to avoid yes. thrombosis, you know, <clears throat> and it was years and years and years of iteration and iteration i i occasionally get surgeons say to me oh yeah but he, the valve he made wasn't good and i said well it was number one i i still get that today because it was, it was number one they didn't know about stents they didn't have the the polymers you have now they didn't have you know the, the transportation system I and mean, even we found out the transport in, in, in ice bags wasn't good mm. but that wasn't known at the time i mm. mean and and we and the valve was put in everybody. If I remember rightly, the Texas Heart Institute put in about 2,000 in children all the way up. And now we know not to put them in children. You know, the, 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 yeah. we didn't know. But the reason for that is because Mar Marion Ionescu and Denton Cooley, I think it was, it was who, Denton, put, was, who yeah. put their series together and spent an on paper, let's not forget, probably yes. using statistical tables that I imagine are huge, um, would went and analysed all of these results with meticulous detail to identify that actually Pete, there was a, a, a threshold abo above which calcification was much less of a risk and below which it was much more of a risk and working out the actuar actuarial, I can never say that word, probably actuarial. Actuarial um, analysis. Actuarial analysis, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, and, and we... You, you, you had. I mean, when I used to, I used to arrive at his home uh, about eight o'clock at night, and we worked to four in the morning. And you remember, you didn't have PowerPoint. Mm. You photographed a a large sheet of paper, and you put letterset on it. And then, when you took the thirty-five millimeter slide, you coloured it in by hand with a pen. Uh, that's how you did it, and you had slides, and and. And we were sat there with a big rostrum camera up in one of his bedrooms and taking photographs of this stuff with letter set and putting numbers on it and cutting them out. Uh, because the next day at nine o'clock, he was flying to, 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 you know, to Miami to give a presentation. And we back two days later and come off the plane and go and operate. Um, he, he was an ex extraordinary amount of energy. And, and you find that in anybody I've known of great, of great prominence, they have energy. <clears throat> energy and, and brains yeah. uh, and passion and and an ability to stay motivated without hope is what I'm going to say as well and there's just one one last thing I'll mention from I think it was it's one of the people he worked with when he was in um, Cleveland Clinic, Wilhelm, Wilhelm Kolf, who was the pioneer of artificial organs at the Cleveland yeah. Clinic, invented an artificial kidney, was in the process of inventing the artificial heart when uh, when um, Marion Ionescu was there. And he had a phrase, no hope is needed to work. 
nor success to persevere. <laughs> and, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to keep going. Don't well, you? <laughs> if, you, if, if you think about it, if the pericardial valve hasn't worked, where is he going next? Mm. And I often wonder that. And, and when I talk to him about the composite polymer valve leaflets, because um, I think probably hemodynamically and, and everything else, we, we're probably at the apogee of, of where three leaflet valves are. All we need to do is change the material uh, to something more sustainable and uh, something that you can get more. But Marino was already on that. When I saw him in May, he was ahead of me. <laughs> he was already ahead of me. He'd read everything before. You know, how do you know this stuff, Marion? You're 94. Take a rest. You know, watch the birds out the window. And no, no, it's everything and phoning people and you you get phone calls at night and because you couldn't sleep and mm. um, I, what we have lost. We have lost a true pioneer. I'll I'll bring this to a little bit of a close now. Um, but there's a quote that I found again on the tributes board, and this was from a close friend of his called called Melanie Oates, who I believe is is happy for me to to comment on this. And and uh, and just as a juxtaposition, I met I, I mentioned this before we started recording, but another very funny comment from I think Mike Holder, who's a, who was his previous registrar, um, had, had said uh, lots of very interesting and lots of very um very kind comments as well and finished off with I would have hated to climb a mountain with him <laughs> however there were plenty of people who did successfully climb several mountains with and these are not metaphorical ones these are actual physical mountains <laughs> I think Melanie did I think yes I think I think Melanie both 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 physical and metaphorically absolutely. Melanie climbed many mountains with them she's a great lady absolutely so she says she's climbed with him in both the Swiss Alps and Mont Blanc and she has said he's an exceptional man genius generous eccentric and a wonderful surgeon a scientist and an artist and he will be missed by everyone whose lives he touched and in actual fact, he touched many, many, many millions of lives in effect. I mean, I think a, from the British Journal of Cardiology, I found a quote that it's like 10 million pericardial valves have been implanted worldwide. Must so be. if we think about the origins of those and the development of that pericardial valve, you know, Marion Ionescu features somewhere in the development of, of all of those valves. And, and, um, and to do it all from Leeds, not from a major city centre like mm -hmm. London or New York or, mm -hmm. or, or Houston, and to do it all with with... With, with such a plum, mm. you know, and uh, Melanie, who knows him so well, because she worked with him in Leeds General Infirmary, um, both professional, uh, professionally, you know, she she always she always says that uh, the day he came into her life was something very special, and the day he came into my life was something special. Mm. I will always remember that first impression with the mm. with the, the clothes, with the the cologne, with the with the savoir faire. He was a one off. <laughs> oh, well, thank you so much for talking to You're me welcome. all about You're it today. Welcome, and um, and it's been fascinating to hear more about him and learn learn so much more. And I, I hope that that's something that um, we can all our listeners can enjoy, which I'm sure they will. And uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, and and for anybody again, just a reminder: fifty years of the pericardial heart valve is one of the SCTS books. And you know, if you've got it in your in your bookcase, dust it off, have a look. There's an awful lot of very interesting information in there, um, and and so much more that that we haven't covered. So um, just a, a recommendation. <laughs> anyway, thank you so much, John, and it's been lovely Caroline. It's been a great pleasure, and uh, for our friend Marion. 
you know, we wish him well wherever he is. Absolutely. Rest in peace. And thanks again to John for uh, having a chat with me on this podcast. I know I found it so interesting and I'm sure uh, you all will have done as well. Um, Just a reminder, if there's anything you want to uh, comment on or let me know, uh, you can always contact me at sctseducationpodcast at gmail.com. And we also are on, uh, well, it's not Twitter anymore, is it? It's X, uh, um, podcast underscore SCTS. Um, So there's another way to get hold of us. Okay. Oh, well, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Until next time. Bye-bye.